You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open. <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill. Unbelievable. Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Got it. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown six pass of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It is the middle of June. That means the summer preview series continues here as we take a look at the NFC South. We're going to talk to pro football focuses Trevor Sycamore, Tampa Bay Trey himself, to do that. Plus, we'll hear from Dolphins offensive lineman Teron Armstead to talk about his foundation, his summer so far, and a little bit of football as well. All of that and much more here from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Let's get to my interview here with Dolphins left tackle, Teron Armstead. What up, guys? Welcome back to 100 Yards with me, Travis Wingfield, joined today by Dolphins offensive tackle, Teron Armstead. Teron, let's go ahead and get walking down here. What I first want to ask you about is you've had a very busy offseason away from the field with your charitable contributions. Catch us up on what you've been up to. Uh, definitely been busy, man. Uh, we've been tapping in into a lot of different spaces, really focused on getting a community center running back in my hometown, Cokie, Illinois. Um, more recently, we've had our big weekend, the youth football camp. We had our first celebrity basketball game. My teammates came down, Tyreek Hill, who can really ball. Uh, <laughs> Tua came. Service. Yeah, no, it's real. <laughs> SA came down uh, and, and some of my other NFL buddies. Uh, but really the, the, the big highlight of the weekend and the start of the show was uh, a kid, Xavier Jones, right? 14-year-old kid out of St. Louis. He's been walking to school. He walked to his gradu- graduation six miles to say. Um, so people have been picking up his story. Harris Stowe offered him a full ride scholarship because this kid has maintained a 4.0 GPA while taking this walk. Um, so my team started start reaching out, looking for the, looking for the kid and the family. Uh, come to find out, it was like, you know, they have some challenges and adversity. Uh, his mom passed away a couple years ago, unfortunately. Um, so his granddad has been raising him and his other six siblings. Um, his granddad is disabled with six, with seven young, young children and uh, no means of transportation. So my team uh, went out, partnered with Ryan Pritchard of, of Pritchard EV and um, Bomarito Automotive. We were able to, to give Xavier's family an E-Series electric bike for Xavier for him to get back and forth to, from school and also a uh, Honda Odyssey minivan for his family. So they were able to receive that at halftime. They were super excited. The community was super excited. It was just a great moment, really, like really a beautiful moment. I have to imagine the looks in their faces, especially the, the motorized bike for the kid. He probably lit up. Yeah, for sure. We got to show him how to operate it a little bit because it was complex. <laughs> yeah, they're not easy. So they, <laughs> so they was teaching him right there on the spot. Brilliant kid, for sure. Uh, he was like, can I drive the, drive the van? Like, he don't got the license yet, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give it a couple of years. Yeah, couple <laughs> but years. no. It was great. It was great. That's, it it kind of takes me into a question I wanted to ask you because, like, it, it reminds me of, of the fact that you are this very analytical mind that thinks about things on a, on a meta, you know, type of scale. Like, offensive line play. I see all the videos of O-line masterminds, teaching your teammates out here stuff. I'm always curious. Does your mind work that way where you're trying to break things down like that in other walks of life as well? Yeah, I think uh, for me it's about understanding. You know what I mean? I just try to grasp the understanding of whatever concept or idea or environment I'm in. You know, I try, I try my best to understand and, and get knowledge about it. I always feel like knowledge is the true power. You got a future in teaching or coaching <laughs> or, or media. Like, what do you think your post-playing career is? Like, you got so many opportunities, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of things going on already actively um, off the field. But my biggest my biggest job and, and my biggest passion is my, my children. I have uh, twin daughters and a son. And my, my twin girls play basketball. Uh, competitive, very competitive, very talented. So I spent a lot of time with them. My son is in soccer now. Uh, I never kicked a soccer ball until he got in it. So now I'm trying to understand that and find ways to, to help improve him. It's a good way to get conditioning down too. A little That's bit of soccer a fact. Around. 
Yeah, the fatherhood thing, man, is great. We had that theme a lot. A lot of the guys out here, a lot of fathers in the building here. So yep. it's cool to hear you guys talk about that. Let's talk about a little bit of football, though, because again, the the, the media, the uh, coaching, that's that's in the future. Mm-hmm. Right now, you're a Miami Dolphin trying to get this team uh, back to the glory and promised land. What do you think having the second year in this offense is going to do to benefit the, the offense that finished sixth in the NFL last year, but you can still grow and get better, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it, I mean, it's a value. It's a true value. Spending time in an offense, getting a chance to get familiar with the terminology, the concepts. Um, it cuts down the, the pre-snap thinking, and it, it makes you, it helps you get, get prepared to actually execute the assignment. Um, it's like, it's one of the small things that not many people outside of the building would, would see or notice, but every single player can tell the difference, and, and it's a huge difference. You get more and more time with um, a system and get more familiar. It's only a benefit. So you mentioned some of your passions, obviously the family man, but I know you're a big music guy as well. Anything coming down the pipe here in music, music-wise? So working on some working on some music stuff for sure. Uh, got a pretty cool ordeal going on with the league and another uh, company. I'm not sure if they want me to to say <laughs> teaser maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure if they want me to to offer up that right now uh, until until it's finalized and we get it all produced, but. Um, we got some exciting things on the way. What are the chances we get to hear some Tehran Armstead tracks out here at practice? And does it require the orange jersey, or can someone else throw you on the on the ox? I got to get the orange jersey. <laughs> I got to get the orange jersey. So that's what I'm. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna set off for the orange jersey, and once I get it, I'm gonna play my music the whole practice. <laughs> that's what you gotta do, man. Appreciate your time today, Tehran. Thank you. you so much, man. Thank you. Always a pleasure to get a chance to catch up with T-Stead. He is the absolute man as a person, also obviously the man as an offensive tackle as well. One of the best the game has seen uh, since he came into the league really back in 2013. So there's T-Stead doing great stuff in the community, great stuff for our team down here as well in South Florida. Let's go ahead and pause right here for our first break and come back on the other side and preview the NFC South with none other than Tampa Bay Trey himself, Trevor Sycamore from Pro Football Focus. That's next, Draft Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. And please join me in welcoming in my guest today. He's Trevor Sikama. He covers the league and the draft for Pro Football Focus. He's the host of the NFL Stock Exchange podcast, but none of that is the reason why he's on today. Akin to how you're not going to not get a Randy Jackson autograph on your samurai sword when you see him at the mall, you're not going to not have Tampa Bay Trey on to preview the NFC South. Trevor, what's up, man? How are we doing today? That was a great reference. That was a good one. You told me it was coming before the show. I didn't know exactly what it was going to be, and it was uh, it was absolutely worth it. No, Travis, it's always good being on with you, my friend. I appreciate you having me on for this one. Yeah, we're happy to have you back, man. NFL Combine last time around. That was one of my favorite interviews I did there, so uh, appreciate getting you back on here. But I just want to kind of go team by team here as we – it's that time of year, man. Like I, I love this time of year because I'm so inundated with Miami Dolphins stuff that I don't have as much of a chance as I used to to go around the NFL and just kind of watch some tape and talk to the other 31 teams. And that's your job. So I thought let's go ahead and have someone on who's also close to a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You covered them there for a while, but I just want to go and and the Panthers too for a bit, right? Oh, I'm I'm currently recording this in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I, I uh, where that. I currently reside. So yes, I've got a good uh, finger on the pulse for both of those teams as well as everything in the NFC South. Sure. Obviously. Why did I not know you were still in Charlotte? That's that's news to me. Well, my my bad, but I guess a happy accident here for the podcast. We're covering in in depth two fourths of the division here, but also really in earnest uh, all four teams. So I want to go team by team here and just kind of talk about their off seasons, you know, how the balance of power in the division looks on paper, because I think that sometimes, you know, teams build to, to attack teams in their division. And I think there's a certain, you know, competitive off season approach that teams have. So just kind of the comprehensive look at the NFC South, if you don't mind, that sound good to you. Yeah. So obviously the big headline is Tom Brady's not in the division anymore, right? You look at the last couple of years and with Tom Brady being there, Bucks have won the division title. They're coming off in and being the, the reigning champs of the NFC South, although it, it truly felt like a somebody's got to win the division kind of a year for them with them sneaking into the playoffs with the record that they had. I think it was a disappointing year for every single team, honestly. Uh, you know, what was going on with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? 
They were a team that two years ago, they won the Super Bowl. They were high aspirations, double-digit win team the year before. And it just, for whatever reason, the connection between Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady, you know, the passing weapon, some of the injuries they dealt with along the offensive line, the defense wasn't as stout as it was in years past. And so it felt like it's just a perfect storm for Tampa to be, yeah, the best team in that division, but not a great team to champion that division when it came to representing them in the playoffs. And so, you know, it, it's a lot of changes that's going on in Tampa right now. Yeah. Last year, the Saints were moving on from, you know, they're getting over the legacy of Drew Brees and, and Sean Payton still. And, and that just has not come to fruition in a full team like slingshot back into their winning ways. It just was not what it needed to be, especially from the quarterback position last year. It's a really strong roster, but Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston, they just did not get it done last year the way they needed to. Matt Rule, I know a lot of people had high hopes for him when he was hired as the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. It never worked. It just never worked in any of the years that they had. I thought, I think there was the most hope for him and his regime, maybe that first year, but it just never came to fruition. Now the Atlanta Falcons, I feel like they were the team that were, their arrow was pointing up or they were on an upward trajectory more than any other team in the division. They're just still getting over a massive rebuild a couple of years ago. They themselves moving on from an era of Thomas Dimitrov as the general manager, Dan Quinn as the head coach. And Terry Fontenot is in there now as general manager. Arthur Smith is now in there as head coach. And they're still trying to rebuild that roster. They really tore it down to the studs. And you can tell they had a much longer-term plan. It wasn't just this short-term, let's slingshot this bad boy and try to, I don't want to say get a cheap playoff berth, because any playoff berth (laughs) is great. But, you know, they didn't want to be that team that just signed a couple of old free agents and made the playoffs or made a shot at the wild card just to say that they did. They're trying to build this team as healthy as they can. And because their starting point was so much lower, that's why last year as a team that was ascending, they still weren't able to contend the way that they could have. But this year, I do think that things are a little bit different. So different landscape than it was last year going into this year. But once again, I think a wide open division and all four of these teams, because of the changes that they made this off season, have reason to believe that, they still have a shot at winning this division and being NFC South champions. That's a great snapshot of the division as a whole. And, you know, the 30,000 foot view from, from up top, because I, there's so many things that I could follow up with you here. And I think I'll start here because I think it's the most intriguing thing, at least to me, because you have two teams, like you mentioned, who, you know, one recently, and that's where I want to go back to, to start with here is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because I'm looking at their roster, Trevor. And I know, you know, this because, your favorite team, maybe? I, I don't want to, you know, make you impartial <laughs> here on the podcast, but I think it's your favorite team, your Tampa Bay Trey, after all, uh, on Twitter. Um, the roster looks pretty damn good, man. Like, the, there's weapons, you know, Mike Evans and Russell Gage and Chris Godwin. That's fantastic. You know, you got some running backs there. You got our guy Chase Edmonds from a season ago. Rashad White's one of my favorite guys out of ASU a couple seasons ago. Offensive line's still good. Defense has pieces. You add Greg Gaines. You bring back Levante David. It's just basically the Tom Brady roster without Tom Brady. And it, it reminds me, you know, not all teams can go from Favre to, to Rogers can go from Manning to luck. And, and I, I guess the question here is it, it's and something else you mentioned was, you know, sometimes the worst place to be in the NFL, you mentioned that cheap playoff, you know, birth right. is that purgatory, right? The middle where you're winning eight, nine games, not quite getting in. Maybe you do get in, you wind up picking 18th or 19th in the draft. It, it's best to either be all in all contending or maybe kind of a reset year and, and hope to, you know, recoup for future capital. But the Bucks seem to be really straddling that line because of the fact that we don't know about the quarterback position. What's the expectation there? Is it going to be Baker Mayfield? Is it going to be Kyle Trask? And regardless, can one of those guys guide that roster to double digit wins? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be Baker Mayfield. Uh, you know, when they brought him in, they were really excited to bring him in. Bruce Arians, who he's not the head coach of the team anymore, but he's kind of the right-hand man of Jason Light, the general manager. So even though he doesn't necessarily have power anymore, uh, Bruce Arians, he has a lot of influence. And so he's a big believer in, in Baker Mayfield. I think there was a quote going around a couple of weeks ago of him saying, look how highly I graded Baker Mayfield when he was coming out. And when you know Bruce Arians, the type of offenses that he loves to run, the type of quarterbacks that he gravitates towards, I mean, it's Baker Mayfield to a T. Gunslinger, guy who wasn't afraid to push it deep down the field, um, a player who has a lot of great physical ability, and also a guy who has a lot of moxie to him, a lot of confidence, a lot of swagger. Like, that is Baker Mayfield. And so it would be very difficult for me to think that Baker's not going to be the starting quarterback for that team in week one. And you are right. The rest of the roster is pretty dang solid. And that's what I think made last year so frustrating is they dealt with some unfortunate injuries and Chris Godwin's coming back from his injury. They they miss Ryan Jensen the entire year. You know, Ali Marpet retires kind of surprisingly the summer before last season. They've got some injuries along the defensive side of the ball. And 
we know the defense is a little up and down anyways, right? It's really hard to be an elite defense year in and year out. Defense itself is just, it's such a 11 guys working together cohesively that it's always just going to be a cyclical kind of up and down roller coaster with defense rather than on offense. I think you can predict a little bit more of the successes and failures. So them taking a little bit of a dip back defensively, that should have been fine, but it felt like the relationship, the chemistry, whatever you want to call it, between Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator, and Tom Brady, the quarterback, it just wasn't there for them. And there were so many frustrations. There were so many different areas that you could point to. The lack of running game, the poor play calling, Tom Brady not wanting to hold on to the ball to take the extra hits to let the offense develop the way that it needed to, the injuries along the offensive line, Godwin still coming back from his injury, the lack of tight end usage with Gronkowski no longer there. Like There were so many things that when you looked at this roster on paper, you should have said, this team should have been better. And it just wasn't. So looking now forward to this year, guys are healthy again. The offensive line's a little bit more solidified. Yeah, there's some moving parts. Tristan Wirth's moving from right over to left. and But you're getting Ryan Jensen back. I think that there was a lot of experience that was had from the young guys last year as they were filling in for a lot of roles. Chris Godwin says that he's more confident and healthy than he was. So I think that that duo of him and Mike Evans is going to reemerge as one of the best in the NFL. They bring a lot of great defensive players back. We think that Todd Bowles is going to have a great hand on that defensive side too. So unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you're looking at it as a fan or not a fan, they do feel like they're right on that line. It, it feels like Tampa is going to finish this season somewhere around 500. Now that might be good enough to get them into the playoffs and win the division, but it's probably going to feel like a hollow win unless we see the best version of Baker Mayfield we've ever seen in his NFL career. Because if that's the case, let's say a magic world exists where they hit on Baker Mayfield, the former number one overall pick, then all of a sudden, Boom, rest of this roster is right there. All of a sudden, this team can continue their winning window. But if Baker just looks okay, it's going to put this team in, I don't know, drafting between number 12, number 18. And that didn't really help you a ton. You know, if you want a good quarterback, you got to pick a lot higher than that. So Tampa's in a really unique spot, but they are not going to be any sort of pushover this year. At least I'm not thinking they're going to be. I think teams, like you mentioned, in, in regards to, you know, winning eight and nine games getting in, it depends on where you've been the last couple of years, right? Like the Bucks have experienced a championship run, deep playoff run. So getting in and getting knocked out, you know, in a blowout fashion in the first round, like happened last year, probably is not going to be very satisfying for a fan base that has enjoyed some recent success here. I'm super glad you mentioned the defensive sustainability. That's one of my biggest points I make on the podcast all the time. Just wanted to get that out there. Uh, you also mentioned Ryan Jensen. How great is it having Cody Mock potentially next to Ryan Jensen on an offensive <laughs> line? Like, is there two bigger badasses, two bigger red-haired men in the league than those two guys? Like, you got to be looking forward to that, right? Yeah, it's like a father-son duo, right? <laughs> yeah. It's gonna, it, it's like when when LeBron James finally plays with his son. Like, it just, I don't know. It just, it feels like that, right? Because these are two guys who feel like they're cut from the same cloth. They're missing teeth. They got long red hair. They got, you know, gnarly beards. It, they're just, they're spitting vinegar, eating a bowl of nails type of personality to them. And honestly, that's why when Cody Mock was selected in the second round, we were doing the draft show on PFF, uh, on PFF's YouTube channel. We were doing a live show. And when he got picked, I was just like, of course, <laughs> of course, this is the exact type of offensive lineman that Jason Light has gravitated towards during his entire tenure as GM for the Bucs. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's exciting. You know, you've got, again, Tristan Worst moving from the right side of the line of scrimmage to the left side. Um, you know, left tackle and right tackle to me isn't what it used to be. Like, it's not just, oh, like left tackle is without question the one spot that you need the most. Uh, sure, of course, it, it protects the quarterback's blind side, and that is an added element of being a good pass protector. But at the same time, Travis, you know this, NFL defensive coordinators have evolved to where sometimes they're putting their best pass rushers over the right tackle. And so, sure, the quarterback might be able to see that out of their peripheral vision, but that doesn't mean that you could really get rid of the ball any faster when Micah Parsons is coming at you and he's absolutely whooping the right tackle. So you need both good tackle spots, but Luke Gedeke, who they drafted on day two uh, a couple of years ago, they're, they're plugging him in uh, at that right tackle spot. So they're excited about him there. You think that Cody Mock's probably going to win one of those interior offensive line spots as well. Uh, Nick Leverett did a decent job filling in for some injured, injured guys last year. And then of course, like you said, you got Jensen there. So it's an offensive line that, that on paper could really work out, but you know, it's got to be all five guys working cohesively as a unit. And I think that that's still going to take time for this group. I hope somebody in that media room brings up the brawny comparison to LeBron James with uh, Cody Mock and, and Ryan Jensen. That's too good, man. That's, that's, that's perfect. Uh, uh, hilarious juxtaposition with those two guys. And then, um, you know, I want to, I want to finish here because with, with Baker Mayfield, like, again, that's, I keep going back to him and as, as a guy that 
I was a big fan of his game coming out of college, out of Oklahoma. I thought mm -hmm. the, the eyes were hardwired to the feet. I thought that helped him get through progressions. I thought it made him quick and just processing, and the ball was accurate on time. And, you know, he came out like a, you know, house on fire in that first year at the Cleveland Browns and had some ups and downs. I thought I played some good ball there, but it just hasn't been that way since he's bounced around the league. And I'll, I'll end with my, my Bucks portion with this question. How do they get the most out of Baker Mayfield? How do they make him look like a future or a former, I should say, number one overall pick? Because again, like you said, if this guy takes the reins and, and balls out, this roster probably wins the division going away. They probably feel really good about their future prospects. Like how do they, how do they curate that type of atmosphere and make Baker Mayfield play at that level? Yeah, this is the million dollar question. And I mean that literally because people are paid millions of dollars around the NFL, whether they work for teams or whether they're private quarterback coaches trying to answer this exact question, right? You have a gunslinger who gives you the mentality that you love, the fearlessness pushing it deep down the field, the arm talent to be able to do it. And yet the way they read the field puts the ball in harm's way too often. I mean, Jameis Winston, former number one overall pick, right? When you looked at him, you go back to some of that Florida State tape. I mean, he's just chucking it up 50-50. And in college, it worked really well because that Florida State team was so good. He gets the NFL. It's a different animal. I think his first pass in the NFL was a swing pass out to the flats, and it was picked off. It was a pick six. That's how he started his career because the linebackers in the NFL are just different. They read offense is better they have better um adjustments and they have better recovery speed and they're able to anticipate better and i think that's just the journey that a lot of these gunslinger quarterbacks go through because you're right when we saw him when we saw baker mayfield in lincoln riley's offense at oklahoma it was unstoppable and i think it's because baker was so confident and i think that that's when he's always been at his best and that's kind of a cliche it's kind of a duh right like every player is playing at their best when they're playing their most confident but you know, Baker, there was the confidence there at the beginning of the Cleveland tenure. And then I think that things started to change. Pressure started to mount um, new coaches in and out, new receivers in and out. And he somehow lost that confidence. I never worked in Carolina. It never really worked in Los Angeles outside of that one game, which was again, that first game where it was almost like he was playing carefree. Like he was playing with house money. Like he was just throwing the ball and it didn't really matter. And it was working out for him very well that game. So this is the question. I, I will just say that Bruce Arians has been that guy to really help those types of quarterbacks before. And so, uh, you know, not to make excuses for Baker Mayfield, but of the four spots that he has already been in throughout his NFL career, this is the one that you would plausibly think would get the best out of him and the closest player to what we saw at Oklahoma. This is why I wanted to have you and, and the other experts we're going to have on this next couple of weeks, because you, you give us this perspective of being so close to that team to, to understand that the, the thinking behind Bruce Arians and, and, you know, a, a quarterback like Baker Mayfield with that checkered up and down, you know, history that he's had. It's fascinating to me, man. It's this division, that team, it's, it's all so intriguing. Every, every summer I get intrigued by all 32 teams and you've just helped me get there further along with the Buccaneers. Let's go ahead and pivot to a team that already I'm peak intrigued because of the way they went about their off season in a, in a era where throwing the football is the, the coup de gras. Everyone wants to throw the ball and it makes the most sense because it usually scores the most points and wins the most mm -hmm. games. But the Atlanta Falcons, I think are going to come out here. And my question to you, Trevor, are they going to break the record for rushing attempts? And even going back <laughs> to the 1972 Miami Dolphins, I just look at this roster between you, you spend the eighth pick in the draft on B. John Robinson. You're already committed to the running game. Once you do that, you have a great offensive line, but Cordell Patterson is one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, Tyler Algier looked awesome last year. Are they going to do that? Are they going to run the ball 500 times this year? Yeah, I don't know what the record is. Do you know what the exact record is? Have you looked this up no, before? No, I don't. I should have looked it I, up. I, I, I don't know what it is either, but I would be fascinated to know because, yeah, Arthur Smith might uh, might have that luxury this year. And again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about the Falcons when I was introing how they got to this point. They really took this roster down to the studs, and I mean that both in a uh, building standpoint and also their stud players were basically the only guys that were left, right, when they started <laughs> to move in and out with a lot of these guys. And um you know, the way that they've built this roster, it's been a long-term outlook. And I think what they've really wanted to do, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is establish that run game. Arthur Smith comes over from Tennessee, and of course, he was able to lean on Derrick Henry, saw the success that they could have there. And I think that that goes into why they have emphasized the, the ground game so much. But I also think it's just a health of the roster standpoint, right? You want that offensive line to be what it needs to be to where, hey, 
when it's third and two, when it's the NFC championship game, when we got to pick up the damn two yards, we're going to be able to do it. And I'm not even going to think twice about it. Like there's no, we're not, we're not calling shotgun four wide on third and two, because like we're a passing team, we're going to pick up the yards the easiest way. And that is our guys beating up your guys in the line of scrimmage. And we're going to hand it off to some really good running back. So I think that they, they wanted to check that box not only from a game plan perspective, but also a mentality perspective, because there's something too. I, I remember watching a little clip of, you know, teams do like the behind the scenes, the mic'd up stuff during the season. And there was a mic'd up episode that I was watching of the Atlanta Falcons. And he's going up to every single one of his offensive linemen and his running backs before they're about to take the field. And he's, he, he's saying the same thing to all of them as he goes down the line. We're about to run it down their throat. Like, get big. Like, you, are, I'm about to put you in a position where you get to earn your paycheck by displacing a man against his will on the line of scrimmage. And that is, that is like, that identity is important. It really, as somebody who, I know, I know you know this, anybody who's been in a locker room and really covered teams closely knows that identity winning attitude, just that kind of confidence that you have as a group in a game of football that is so demanding and so physical matters. So that's why I, I, I don't know if they're going to get the rushing title this year, but I know that's still going to be a major game plan of what they they want to do, not just because they have Bijan Robinson, but because that identity is something that they are seeking team-wide, depth chart-wise, whether it's offense, defense, no matter what. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, the zigging when the rest of the league zags is something that I've always kind of admired, especially, you know, being in this division with the New England Patriots team who ran the division for two decades and did it by, you know, sometimes it was Jonas Gray going for 200 yards in a game. They never hear from him again, but just the ability to kind of be different in a league where being different is sometimes, you know, frowned upon. I admire that in a lot of ways. And uh, I looked it up for you here. It's 681 rushing attempts by the uh, Los Angeles Raiders in 1977. So that's not going to get broken. There's no chance they break that. But I do think you look at this team like, you mentioned the head coach, you know, being all about team identity. This is a guy that saddled up Derek Henry to some, you know, AFC championship bursts as an offensive mm-hmm. coordinator up there with the Titans. So it makes perfect sense. But where I go to next here is the quarterback position, because at the end of the day, Trevor, no matter how good you are on defense, no matter how good you run the football, you have to have competent quarterback play. And we just don't know what Desmond Ritter is going to be right now. He got some valuable playing time at the end of last season, a second round pick out of Cincinnati, second round pick, right? Third. Second round? Which third round? which which Des- player would you say? Des- Desmond Ritter was he second or third round? He was a third round pick. Okay, because Ken- round pick because Kenny Pickett was the only first round quarterback, and then it was like two full rounds before the next guy was drafted, which is crazy. Yeah, like Malik Willis was first, right? Then it went Ritter. I, I don't know. No, I mean, it was it was Ritter and then Malik Willis. Yeah, that's why we have you here. I'm I'm uh, swinging in the weeds right now. But uh, anyway, I want to talk about Desmond Ritter's games. What I'm talking about here. So you know, you mentioned the running game. He's got weapons. He's got a certain type of weapon too. Kyle Pitts and and uh, Drake London. They signed Mac Collins, who's got that same body type and you know, big big go get the football type of rebounder. I'm just curious what you think this passing game might look like behind a quarterback that. You know, it's so weird because right now I feel like most teams across the league, you have a feel for what their quarterback might be able to do. Obviously, you have rookies in second years that we you never really do know, but you have an expectation for most teams. With this team, I really have no idea, Trevor. What's going to happen at quarterback this year for the Falcons? Yeah, I, I just don't know how they're going to emphasize the position. I'll be fully transparent. I had Desmond Ritter as my QB1 uh, in in the class of 2022. So I had high hopes for him. Now I didn't think that he was somebody who you pick like in the top five or top 10, just because he was my top quarterback in that class. But I had faith in him that, that he could be a competent starting quarterback at the NFL level. And I still believe that with the Atlanta Falcons, I think that Drake London and Kyle Pitts are two fantastic weapons that he could utilize very, very well. They're still building out the rest of that receiver core. I mean, you know, it's Scotty Miller, it's Matt Collins. It's those guys. They're kind of depth players for them now. And so, you know, you, you can't, I'll, I'll say this too. People might kind of clown the Atlanta Falcons and say like, oh, look at them. They're they're just running the ball all the time. They're staying in the stone age. They're not evolving. But at the same time, you just got to look at how your roster is constructed. I think that next year they're also going to go all in on adding another really great receiver. Like I think that's coming either in free agency or in the draft. And so then all of a sudden in, I think the real year for the Falcons is 2024. So I think they're a year away from truly competing for one of those non- hollow playoff spots if you will one that actually carries some substance because right now their strength is running the football it is 100 they've got Bijan, they've got tyler Ogier, they've got caleb huntley they've got cordero patterson like that's what they're going to do they've got kyle pitts they have drake london they have enough in the passing game to i think balance out what they would do with with rushing the football but 
we should not expect Desmond Ritter to have like this takeover type of masterclass passing season as a sophomore, because that's not even how this team's going to be built. You just want to see progress from him. You want the turnover worthy play percentage down. You want the adjusted completion percentage up. You want to see him make some big time throws and hit on those accurately with good decisions to the two reliable receivers that they have in Pitts and London. And so those guys are great contested catch players. They're great over the middle players. I think that that's the areas that they're going to attack in the passing game, but that's kind of way that I view Desmond Ritter is uh, we don't need to expect this massive leap from him next year because I don't even think that's going to be the game plan for them. So as long as he is improving from a recognition and football IQ standpoint, then I still believe that they're on track for him to take yet another step up in 2024 as the rest of that roster, especially that passing attack group is going to be even better. Yeah, their, their team cycle looks promising. Like you mentioned, I, this roster, I, it looks good, man. Like you mentioned the the running game. To bring back Caleb McGarry, just get Chris Lindstrom signed to a long-term contract. Mm-hmm. I forgot they drafted Matthew Bergeron, who's one of my favorite players in the draft as well. So Same. really looking good on the offensive line there. So again, like you said, run to your strengths. Let's go ahead and finish here with these guys on their defense before we take our break and then go to the Saints and Panthers because, you know, Dean Pease was there a year ago and it just was a struggle for the Falcons defense the last couple of years, really. And I think it was, you know, I wouldn't say it was more of a Dean Pease thing, maybe just a lack of, of overall talent on that defense, but they've they've gone in here and made some big changes. I, two of my favorite players, players in the entire league David Onyemata leaves the Saints mm. and comes over to the Falcons that's a big get and subtraction for your division rival but Jesse Bates is one of my favorite all-time defensive backs I remember watching him at Wake Forest be like this dude can ball I was right on that one we talk about the hits here on the podcast not the misses we talk about the draft uh, Jesse Bates one of those guys for me this defense how's it going to look constructurally oh how can I forget Calais Campbell uh, how do right. you how do you think it'll look structurally under new defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen? And does the talent there kind of match the ability to get stops and and ultimately you know help them win games on that side of the football? Yeah, the good thing is that it's totally different, right? Uh, it was one of the worst defensive units that was out there, especially because one, there just wasn't a lot of talent along, along that roster. No matter what you look at, defensive line, linebacker level, secondary, there just not, was not enough playmaking talent there. And then you take into account AJ Terrell, who had a fantastic season the year before, really struggled last year. I, I mean he. It's it's hard to to dominate on your own as a member of a secondary, knowing the secondary is so much again about chemistry on the defensive side of things. But he was not good. I mean, Grady Jarrett was good, but he can't do it alone along the defensive line. So it's completely different now. There's so much more talent. You have Terrell coming back, who I fully believe in. He's going to have a bounce back year. You added Jesse Bates. You took a nice risk on Jeff Akuda that I like that trade for them as well. You brought in Bud Dupree. You brought in Calais Campbell. You brought in David Onyemana. Now they're all playing next to Grady Jarrett. You have some young guys like Arnold Ebicati who are waiting in the wings so you don't have to fully lean on like you did last year. And instead, you could put them in the right situations. All of that is there for them now. It's such a more constructed defensive side for them that it's absolutely going to get better than it was last year. It was Pretty bad, so I, I would hope that that would be the case no matter what. But they did a really nice job attacking a major weakness on the defense side of the ball, and I think it's going to be much better for Atlanta. Your, your AJ Terrell commentary is fascinating to me because I think a lot of times, and you know, being on social media, I'm sure you see this all the time as well, Trevor, is that like we get an idea about a player, good or bad, and that's who they are forever, right? Like this guy can't mm. play because I saw him in 2019 and he was bad, or, or he was good in 2020. They're before he's going to be good in 2026. But for a guy like AJ Terrell, what do you think caused the issues to have him kind of slump up and fall off like that? Because to me, it's always, you know, every single year is independent of the previous year and the guys that do it consistently, you appreciate that. But I think that if you hadn't watched Falcons games last year, you probably would have said to yourself, AJ Terrell, he's a star in the defensive backfield, but that wasn't the case a year ago. Didn't play well. Why do you think that he, that was the case and how can he kind of bounce back off of that? Yeah. I I won't pretend to have like, totally put him on the under the microscope as if a lot of like there's a lot of beat reporters out there that cover the Falcons who have watched a lot him more closely than I have but just from an outsider's perspective and looking at some of the PFF grades that we've had for Terrell I just wonder if the unit wasn't deployed the way that it needed to be like they were almost changing things because sure AJ Terrell is your best player but if you have five other or four other players a slot corner another outside corner and two safeties who just aren't able to play the type of defense that maximizes what you're able to do Sometimes you're having to change things for those guys to raise the floor of your secondary rather than just go after the top strength of letting AJ Terrell shine. So I think that that might've gone into it. And honestly, Travis, you know, this, we talked about how up and down defense is in general. 
corner from year to year yeah. is without question the biggest variance that you will see of any player. You can have a guy have an elite year one year. He's that same guy. And just because NFL teams are really good at offense and there's really damn good pass rushers around the league, you just might not have as good of a year the next year. You might come up on the short end of the stick a lot more than you thought that you were going to. You might yield a little bit more catches, a little more first downs, a little more touchdowns. And that's just playing the position. It is a position that is much like the game of baseball where you are failing a lot. And you just have to focus on when you're hitting, when you're getting on base, when you're hitting home runs, all that kinds of stuff. So I just think that it's not something that I'm really worried about, about Terrell. It's a short sample size, both with him playing well and with him playing bad. But I think that the truth is somewhere in the middle, but I think it's more towards the really good play from him. And I think that we're going to see that bounce back this year. That's the context I love here on the podcast. And like, we, we didn't have, we don't have a league full of great receivers to not have defensive backs have to take the brunt of that sometimes. So it's, it's the give and take you get there in terms of how the league balances out right now. This league has so many good receivers. So it makes sense that if you go week by week and you just run into Tyreek Hill and you know, a Mike Evans every other week, it's going to be tough for you sometimes. So it makes perfect sense. Trevor, that was great. Let's take a break right here and come back on the other side and finish up the NFC South with my guest, Trevor Sikama from pro football focus here on the drive time podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield. Brought to you by AutoNation. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We left off the other side of the break here talking Buccaneers and almost forgot who we're talking about Atlanta Falcons. We're going to talk now some New Orleans Saints and we talk about the quarterback position is always the one that, you know, gets the headlines here. It's it's crazy to say, but Derek Carr is kind of the head honcho in the division right now coming over from the Las Vegas Raiders after a an up and down career, but I would say overall successful career there. I think that Carr kind of got too much flack sometimes there uh, for some of the Raiders struggles over the years, but by and large, you know, a really smart quarterback guy that gets the football out quickly. I, I just want to hear from your perspective, you know, someone that's going to see this guy play against your team and in this division in general twice a year. Derek Carr's fit here with the Saints. How do you like it? Uh, and how do you think he performs in year one for the Saints? Yeah, I like it. And it's it's one of the reasons why I picked the Saints to be division winners a couple of weeks ago. My Buccaneer fan friends weren't happy about that one. But I have to you look at this roster and look, it's it's already a really strong roster. And, and you look at what happened last year. Quarterback was really what was just holding them back a ton. Now, there were some deficiencies on the defensive side of the ball, some injuries that they had to deal with on offense as well. Michael Thomas wasn't as healthy as they wanted him to be. But for it seems like Michael Thomas is happy and healthy. And Sure, is he not going to be that fantasy number one guy that we saw you know, three, four years ago? No, I'm not expecting that, but I still think Michael Thomas is a really good receiver. And now you've got Shahid in that lineup. You've got Olave in that lineup. Like That's a really nice receiving trio. Not sure how available Alvin Kamara is going to be this year, but you, know, you drafted Kendra Miller. You've got Jamal Williams. Like You've got guys to be able to go to. And then, of course, that brings us to Derek Carr, who I've been more on the pro Derek Carr side of things because it, it, he is such a polarizing quarterback there are people who just hate him or people who are giving him all the benefit of the doubt in the world I'm of course a little bit more in the middle but I lean towards that Derek Carr is a really dang good quarterback he was not blameless of what happened in Las Vegas during his tenure there because it was a long tenure you don't go that many years without having your own struggles and your own blame for why things weren't working but I also think that he was left out to dry a lot, uh, certainly by the coaching staff, the receiving core some years, the offensive line definitely in some years. You had the debacle of, of course, everything that happened with John Gruden and him being there and getting yanked out of there. They, they really have not recovered from that being the case. Mike Mayock going through his first time as a general manager, who knows exactly how much control he had over the guys he was drafting, but the roster just seemed poorly constructed at times. And it's like, man, in the middle of this was Derek Carr. And I think the biggest blemish for him is last year because he got Devontae Adams, right? You go out and you get one of the best wide receivers in the game, arguably the best wide receiver in the game. 
Calm down. I know Dolphins fans are going to get at me about Tyree Kill. They're all in tier one. All right. Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, Justin Jefferson. They've all got a case for number one. But Devontae got one of those guys, no matter what. Is in that conversation. Yes. And Carr still struggled. The offensive line was bad. I thought Josh Jacobs was great behind him, but Carr himself struggled. And I wonder how much of it was a McDaniels thing versus a him thing. But there's no doubt about it. It wasn't as good as it even should have been. You instead get him out of Vegas, which I think was needed. Change of scenery at this point in time was needed. And you plop him onto an offense and a team and an offensive line that I think is ready to go. And so I think that we're going to see a really good year from him. I think we're going to see a pretty good year from the Saints. And I do think that they are division favorites right now. If you came on this podcast hoping for some like strong debate back and forth, you're not going to get that because I'm in lockstep with you once again here regarding Derek Carr. He's the kind of player that I, I tend to gravitate towards. And I, I guess I've developed this history of defending players. That I think that are, are better than like the median that get disrespected to the level that people think they're way below the median. And it, it reminds me like a Ryan Tannehill down here in Miami, who was a, a better than average player for a long time. The support, the offensive line play wasn't great in his tenure here goes on the Tennessee goes to, you know, playoff runs and has really good efficiency numbers. It just reminds me of that in a lot of ways. And I, I view Derek Carr the exact same way. And, you know, you talk about what he had in Las Vegas with the running game with Josh Jacobs and how strong that was last year. You know, again, like I said about the uh, the Falcons team previously, I'm looking at this offensive line. I think that you can help educate us here, Trevor, a little bit with not just this offensive line, but like Dolphins offensive line player or offensive line play in general, because, you know, people often think that if you put a first or second round pick in a starting position, that position is solved. It's cured for the next five, six, you know, 10 years plus, but that's not always the case. I'm looking at the saints team that last year went out and got a Trevor Penning in the first round. And it was a struggle for him. And, you know, he's a guy that people really fell in love with in the draft process. He's a tough guy. He has that kind of edge on his, on, you know, that he plays with. And I, I'm looking at the offensive line. There's a couple of guys that kind of fit that mold. Uh, Eric McCoy has been a great player in the pivot. Uh, Cesar Ruiz is a guy that, I think Dolphins fans were really in on a couple of years ago in that draft. He, I think, went off the board a couple of picks before the Dolphins made their first round pick. And so I guess my question to you is how this offensive line comes together and the idea of, you know, back to the AJ Terrell you know, discussion where one year is not necessarily indicative of how you're going to be long term. How do you view this offensive line in particular, those three guys, McCoy, Penning and uh, Cesar Ruiz? Yeah, I think that McCoy is solidifying himself. He's just a really good interior offensive lineman. He's bounced around a little bit um, as a guard, as a center. Uh, clearly, they like him at center. They were wondering if Cesar Ruiz was going to have that spot. Uh, I think McCoy is better there on the interior playing that center spot. Ruiz definitely struggled, and I think that this has got to be a big year for him. He's gotten a little bit better in certain situations, but he is somebody who, yeah, it's just been a slow burn for him. They draft him really highly, and they thought of him very highly, and it's just been really tough for him. The, the jump from college to the NFL – uh, I just don't think that we give it as much weight as it deserves when you're just that, that, that level of competition is just so huge, especially going up against some of the best trench players in the world than at the pro level. And so it's always going to be a little bit of an adjustment there. Trevor Penning is a good example of that, right? He comes over from a smaller school and, and he's goes to the senior bowl and he's you know, finishing past the whistle and he's, you know, tackling guys like five seconds after the play <laughs> is over and he's like showing his mean streak and he's just very aggressive of an offensive tackle. Well, okay, sure. That, that works at the level of competition that you were playing at. And it might even work at the senior bowl for a couple of days. It's probably not going to fly as much as you think it is at the NFL level. And so he was dealing with injury as well, but I think it's going to be a good bounce back year for, for him. They clearly believe in him and with, with, with them trading up to, draft him a couple of years ago but I also think the, I also think that um Nick Saldaveri the old Dominion offensive lineman who they drafted in the mid rounds this year is going to be pretty key for him because I believe that his best spot in the NFL is probably along the interior it's probably one of those guard spots but he is somebody who had the offensive line talent to play at offensive tackle at old Dominion he played it really really well you just saw a little bit of length a little bit of athleticism deficiencies from him but it still was a damn good offensive lineman so he's going to be a big time swing player for them and if any of those three guys, maybe Ruiz, I think is the one that I'm looking at, isn't holding his weight, they really might be able to throw Saldaveri in there and he might be able to help him out. That's a great uh, deep cut there because, again, this offensive line, you got we didn't talk about Andrus Pete either. You've also got, you know, a, a borderline Hall of Famer right tackle and Ryan Ramchek, who's been just awesome for, the, for them for a mm -hmm. lot of time, or a lot of years, I should say. So it, it's interesting because there's a heavy investment there on the offensive line and we'll see what they get out of that because like i said investing doesn't always you know equal uh production on the back end let's go ahead and finish on the defensive side here and speaking of offensive line play i don't know if you had a chance to see this trevor i'm sure you did because you're so plugged in 
But uh, Cameron Jordan thinks that offensive linemen don't deserve anything in this league. He says that he can beat anybody just if he gets a technique right. Nothing else matters. Um, but he he headlines a defense has gotten some new parts, especially up front. Um, I, I wrote down some names that I like. They added Nathan Shepard, Colin Sanders, and uh, dude, geez, Tano Passanio, I think is how you say mm-hmm. it. Um, yep. Like that defensive front. They've had guys in the back end for a long time. Demario Davis, one of the best linebackers of the last few years. Uh, tell us about this defense and how is is this kind of a unit that maybe is under, you know, underappreciated right now with how much talent they have? Yeah, I, I, well, I think that it feels like the Saints in general feel a little underappreciated just because people are ready to write them off. Um, but I, look, <laughs> Cam Jordan is has been an Iron Man of the NFL, right? He's had an unbelievable career. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, incredibly successful. I also don't totally disagree with, hey, when you get your technique right, you can beat anybody. I mean, we're seeing like Von Miller is doing the same thing in an old age, right? Von Miller is just putting all sorts of great pass rush moves and pass rush plans together, and he's still cooking folks on the left or right side of the line of scrimmage. Doesn't really matter. Cam definitely took a step back though last year so i don't know if he could beat anybody with good technique maybe you know a couple of reps here but um he just kind of seems to be coming towards the end of his career he says that and maybe he'll hear a clip of this podcast and play another 10 years and will be uh just as good as he was before but uh no i think that this defense is really good really talented if they are fully healthy you mentioned some of the new guys along that defensive line you're replacing david onyamata you're replacing um marcus davenport and and those are tough players to replace just because they were so versatile for you. But I like Kalen Saunders. I like Nathan Shepard. Those at least make a defensive line formidable for you. Brian Brzee, somebody who's a former number one overall recruit in the country who they drafted in the first round out of Clemson this year. If you get his weight right and, yeah, he struggled with a lot of stuff last year that really wasn't his fault. I mean, he struggled with some injury, he struggled with an infection that his body was dealing with. He had a tragic death in the family that, uh, of course, I think that we forget about how these, these players are people and that would affect anybody at their job. Uh, and especially if that is uh, football as well, something that is so physically demanding. So he went through a lot last year. I think I, I certainly hope that he is in a better place mentally than he was the year before physically than he was the year before. And he's got a lot of versatility to him, but look, I, I love Pete Warner and Demario Davis. I think Demario Davis, one of the best linebackers in the NFL still. And they got a ton of playmakers in the secondary Paulson yeah. Debo, former wide receiver, really good ball Hawk. Love that addition. I think that fits in well with Marshawn Lattimore on the other side, Marcus may Tyron Matthew still playing at a very high level as he's getting up there in age as well. So a lot of the pieces are there for the saints. It should be at very worst, a solid defense you know maybe it won't be elite but it should be at very worst a solid defense and i think again that's why like if you're just if you're just batting singles doubles in this league consistently on offense and defense that might be enough to win the division i think the saints have the talent to be able to do that Gosh, they're still getting mileage out of that 2017 draft class with Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchek, Alvin Kamara. I think Trey oh, yeah. Hendrickson's onto the bench. That, that's got to be one of the all-time great draft classes. And they're still yes. out here producing. Crazy, yes. man. And we didn't even talk about Chris Olava either, that receiver. I, I like the receiving core this year as well. So I think you kind of sold me. That might be my pick in the NFC South this year. Let's go ahead and finish up, though, with a team that I think is on the rise as well. I've been very impressed with their offseason. They had, obviously, the number one overall pick helps you get your quarterback of the future. In the Carolina Panthers, you talked about, you know, going or uh, moving on from the Matt Rule era there, which I think was kind of needed a breath of fresh air in an organization that hadn't won a lot of games the last few years. You bring in a guy that I just couldn't think more highly of, and, and Frank Reich, to coach that young quarterback. And when you have a coach like that that specializes in developing quarterbacks and what he did in Indianapolis with Andrew Luck, you know, when he first came in, which obviously was like a can't-miss prospect, but the way they developed that offense around those tight ends and the running game and throwing four verts from 13 personnel. I just think the world of Frank Reich. And so when you have that first pick with a coach like that, like I think you'd be crazy to not trust in their evaluation of that quarterback. So my question to you, and this is a team, by the way, in this division that plays the Miami Dolphins week six here at Hard Rock Stadium for a one o'clock kickoff, October the 15th. Um, are we going to be seeing Bryce Young in that game? Will we see him in week one for this Panthers team uh, under center? Yeah, he's going to start week one. Yeah, Bryce, Bryce, <laughs> Bryce is going to start week one. I mean, he's too good. He, he was just an absolutely elite college football player over the last couple of years. Won a Heisman Trophy, was um, absolutely incredible last year as well, although Alabama didn't have as good of a year as a team uh, as they could have or have in years past. Uh, Bryce was still phenomenal. I still think he's, he's going to be the guy. That's why they trade all the way up to number one overall to go get that player. I know they traded early, and they're like, oh, we could pick anybody, but they settled on Bryce for a reason because I think it was a no-brainer with him being the first choice. I love what Carolina's done this offseason. Right, I think it was time to move on from Matt Rule. It was clearly not working, kind of similarly with the Arizona Cardinals, right? Moving on from Cliff Kingsbury. These are guys in college who you have a lot of hope in. These are guys that have uh, built up teams, built up offenses, and it just didn't work at the pro level. And it, it just felt like it was not going to work the way things were going. They're bringing a guy who 
well-respected by you, well-respected by a lot of people in Frank Reich. And, and not only Reich, but I also love the addition of, of Ajiro Evero coming over as defensive coordinator. He did a phenomenal job with the Denver Broncos last season. So I have a lot of hope, high hopes for what he's going to do with a really good young defensive group in Carolina. So look, it they are arrows going in the right direction, right? But they're still filling out the offensive line. Uh, they're still trying to figure out the run game. I know they added Miles Sanders, so they hope they're leaning on him a ton, but that's a new piece of this offense. And then the receiving group. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. It's not what it needs to be. You can have faith that Terrace Marshall is going to be good. You can still think that DJ Chark's got something in the tank. You can still think that Adam Thielen still got something in the tank. You could have faith in Jonathan Mingo, um, their, their draft pick from this past season, but it's it, it's all such an unknown. It's it's a brand new quarterback. It's an unknown wide receiver room. It's an offense that offensive line that's still uh, getting to where it needs to be. So promising, yes. I just don't think Carolina is quite there yet. They're not going to be abysmal. They're not going to be a terrible team. And hell, if Bryce Young's anything like what we saw at Alabama, they're going to be a tough out for not only every team in the division, but any team that they play this year. But um, I just don't think that it's it, it's early, of course, for their rebuild with how much change that they had this past season. It, it looks like a team in that receiver room that kind of, and I think this, you mentioned the Falcons having like 2024 might be the year they kind of, you know, unveil their ultimate plan. I can see this Panthers team kind of being a, you know, two or three years on the road, being the best team in this entire division because of what you just talked about with the young talent they've added and kind of the future they're, they're building towards. But looking at the receiver room, like you talked about it, it looks like a room full of second round draft picks where you, you, you know, you feel good about the player, but you're not quite sure about their long-term prospects like Terrence Marshall's second round pick with this, I think Shai Smith was a mid-round pick in there at some point. Mm -hmm. So it, it makes perfect sense. If you had to pick someone off this offense, because I'm looking at it and I feel the same way you do. Like I like a lot of the guys, but I'm having a hard time finding, you know, that go-to, you know, third and six game on the line. This is where the ball has to go between a Miles Sanders, between a DJ Chark, you know, whoever else you might pick in that receiver, maybe Adam Thielen, Hayden Hurst might be the guy. Cause I like his game a lot. Who's the mm -hmm. guy you're going to on this offense on third and six with the game on the line? Yeah, look, in that scenario, you're, you're probably going to a veteran, right? It's it's probably most likely going to be like an Adam Thielen or you're hoping that Terrace Marshall could be that guy. I do want to throw Jonathan Mingo's name into that list, sure. though, because he is somebody who, when I watched him initially, I watched him and I was like, man, he's got all the physical ability. He's big, he's tall, he's strong, he's fast. He gives you a lot of yards after the catch ability. I just felt like he struggled with drops a little bit. And maybe I was emphasizing that a little bit too much because I, as I talked to a lot of people who I respect around the draft community, they were very in on it. They're like, look, I, I draft this guy in the second round. And I had him a little bit lower. I had him more as a fringe day two, day three kind of, kind of a player, but the ability is there, you know, like if he's catching the ball and he's bringing it in, I mean, what he could do with it after the catch, I think is fantastic. So I think a world certainly exists where he's going to start to fight for those moments, those, Hey, uh, this drives on the line. It's third and six, third and seven, whatever it is, we're clearly passing the football. We need to go somewhere. And I think during the second half of the season, you could start to see Mingo be that player. If he has a really nice uh, first half of the year and, and, and they start to trust him more and more. So likely one of those veteran guys, but I will say Mingo has a path to earn a lot of receiving snaps this upcoming year. It's a super young offense. A couple of years ago, they had a super young defense. It's kind of starting to, I guess, age and mature into the back end of those rookie contracts. And I think the Dolphins played the Panthers back in 2021. And I want to say going into the game, they had like the number one pass defense in the NFL. And a big part of that was having Jeremy Chan on the back back in that rookie season where he was just awesome. Dante Jackson has been a good player for a long time. JC Horman, he's healthy. He's one of the best in my opinion. Uh, what else we got here? Who am I looking at? Um, yeah, just a good looking defense here, especially in that back end. If you don't mind just kind of giving us the uh, skinny here on this defense, you mentioned Ejiro Evero, who's a, a, again, like you said, a, a huge get for them. And then also I'd be remiss not mention my guy from Washington state, go Cougs, Frankie Luvu in the middle of that linebacker room. Tell us about this defense here, Trevor, uh, Trevor. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's extremely exciting. I still think they're figuring things out along the defensive line, but Derek, man, Derek Brown took a massive leap, especially in, in, in pass rushing last year. So I think that he is going to uh, emerge as a national name and respected as one of the best young defensive tackles in the game. So we're going to start talking about him a lot more. I think Shaq Thompson, Frankie Luvu is a, they're a really underrated linebacker duo. I really believe that Frankie Luvu, there was a point it was like a four week stretch near the beginning of the season where I was like, is this guy going to win defensive player of the year? Like, what are we doing here? Like he was forcing a fumble. He was forcing fumbles and making major tackles and having interceptions. And I was like, what are we doing here? I, I mean, like I like Lou, but holy cow. So he had a phenomenal year last year. You know, he has a lot of confidence running next to the veteran Shaq Thompson, Brian Burns. Burns still has to take that next step. 
And when I say that, I don't mean that he's a bad player right now, but the pass rush win rate is still low for him. He's too talented for it to be as low as it is. It's time to take that next step into the area where the elite big boys are. 17%, 18%, 19%. Let's find that kind of pass rush win percentage for Brian Burns because I think he has the talent to do it. He just has not been able to do it at the NFL level yet. Horn, one of the best young corners in the game. No question about it. I like that secondary room. It's still young. Love the addition of Jamie Robinson as well, the Florida State player that they drafted last year. I think he's going to be in the mix for getting some safety play. And then Jeremy Chin, I've already listened to Azir, Ajiro Evero talk about the kind of um, chess piece that he is and finding the best home for him and, and how talented of a player he is. So it's a very, very exciting defense. And I think it's one that could really take a leap this year. That's interesting because we had Vic Fangio talking about Javon Holland saying there's nothing this player about this player that I don't like. Kind of reminds me of, you know, Ejiro Evero had Justin Simmons as well over there in Denver. Maybe he sees some yep. uh, some some crossover, some analog there. Trevor, I told you 30 minutes. We've been about 45, so I appreciate you hanging on here with me. I want to finish this way. I just want you to give me names of these following things you want to pick. It's a, a division superlatives here that I do on these season previews. So I'm going to ask okay. you for best at particular spots and it's kind of put you on the spot, but I think you know this division well enough to give me the answers uh, off the top of your head. So best okay. quarterback in the division is? Derek Carr. I think it has Derek to be Derek Carr. Carr. Even, even though he's the new one, I would say that it's Derek Carr. Um, my number two answer would actually be Bryce Young though, even though he hasn't even played it down in the NFL yet. I would say it's Derek Carr. That was the the first hole in the golf course. We eased into the course there with an easy one. How about the uh, best non-quarterback player on offense in this division? Mike Evans? Best non-quarterback <laughs> player on offense. I'm trying to think about it. It's, I think it would be Mike Evans. Although, Tristan Wirfs, Chris, Chris Lindstrom, and Ryan Ramchek are, it's hard to not go not go with one of those offensive guys. If I was going skill position, I'd go Mike Evans. But if I was going any to truly answer the question, I think I'd go Tristan Wirfs. I was going to say, you can go offensive line too, then you gave me three right in a row, which is perfect. So uh, I'm with you on that one. How about the best defensive player in the entire division? Oh, man. <laughs> There's so many I know. good <laughs> defensive players. Oh, Levante David, Antoine Winfield Jr., uh, Tyron Matthew. <sighs> Grady Jarrett, uh, Jesse Bates. I think, man, I I don't want to sound too homer, but I think I got to go with Levante David. Yeah, I, mean, I just, I, I've just been floored with how good Levante David has continued to yeah. be in his old age. He's just, he is truly just one of the best at his position in the league has been that case for that. That has been the case for the last decade. So uh, I don't mean to be too homerish, but I gotta, I gotta go with Levante David. I don't think we can debate that too much. Like you said, he just continues to to amaze and, and surprise with how long he's been able to be so great. And then uh, the best coach in this division, in your estimation. Oh man. Just putting you on the spot here, man. I think I'm gonna go with Frank Reich. Yeah. I, I actually like think I'm going to go with Frank Reich. It's either Frank Reich or Arthur Smith, because I love the direction they're taking both of those teams. And I know Frank hasn't proved anything in the NFC South, but I just, everyone who's ever talked about Frank Reich, no matter where he's been as a head coach or a coordinator, has only had raving things to say about him. It didn't work out in Indianapolis, I think for a lot of reasons, the biggest one being quarterback. And now that they got that figured out in Carolina, I think Frank Reich is going to very quickly, once again, ascend that list of head coaches that you would want to play for and guys that you love. So I'll go Reich. We are again in lockstep, and I won't do the last question here because you already mentioned your division champ pick is the New Orleans Saints. I think I agree there. I will not I will not put that down in pen here in the month of June, but regardless, that's who I think I'm leaning towards right now. Trevor, you said it all, man. 45 minutes here. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, you can find him at Tampa Bay Trey on Twitter and, of course, at Pro Football Focus NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. What are you working on right now, man? Like I, The summer content to me is like, I'm by the pool. I'm reading books. I'm listening to the podcast. So tell me where I can find your stuff and what I should be listening for here this summer. Dude, I'm doing a lot of uh, a lot of NFL draft stuff, believe it or not. We're going through summer scouting right now, and, and um, we're, we're updating the mock draft machine over at pff.com very soon. We already have the mock draft machine up, so if you're want to, if you a big draft guy and you want to know some of the prospects that are coming up for college football and the NFL draft next year, we already have our mock draft simulator um, up and running, but 
I'm going through every single position uh, in, in, in the game of college football to put together a summer scouting list so that when we get to August, when we get to the season rolling around, I've got rankings on all of these guys. I've got thoughts on all of these guys, and I have a preseason big board that I can release as well. So a lot of draft stuff this summer, which is exciting to turn the page, always is. Yeah, don't sleep on draft content this summer because that gets you ready for the college football season. When I have guys right. to watch on each team like that I know I'm looking at, it makes it way more fun, even in the month of August, September. So we appreciate all your work there. Appreciate your stuff on the podcast here, Trevor. Thank you again so much, and uh, enjoy your summer break a little bit. Go get, go get some vacation, too, while you're at it. I appreciate it, man. It's always great being with you, and you do the same. I'm going to. Thanks, man. And away he goes. You know, it's funny. I, I'm allowed to do just two episodes on the this time of the year on the calendar and still doing two episodes and making about double the length. So here we are doing about the same amount of podcasting. I just can't help myself. I, I love this game. I love this team. I love the sport. I love talking to my uh, colleagues here in the industry. So hopefully you all appreciate that too. Two divisions down, six more to go. We're going to do the Western divisions next week, AFC West on Tuesday, NFC West on Thursday, and a couple more player interviews for you guys on there as well. So keep it t- locked right here on the Drive Time Podcast for all your Miami Dolphins and NFL content needs here this summer. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast leave us a rating leave us a review follow us on social wherever you can find us at Winkler NFL at Miami Dolphins check out the team YouTube channel for Dolphins Today media availabilities drive time fish tank content so much going on and last but not least MiamiDolphins.com until next time fins up Carolina Cameron Daddy's coming home